0: Today. You have a great day. All right, so you began asking a couple of questions about the uh, posthum that this Mimer is based on. It says, on the third month since the Jewish people left Egypt, on that day they came to Mount Sinai, and we wanted to understand why um, the Torah calls it that day, when we know it's referring to as Chodesh why does the Torah specifically call it that day? And why does the Torah say they came from Rafidim, the next Pasuk? We know they came from Rafidim. Why does the Torah repeat that again? And uh, why does the Torah um, first tell us it was the third month? Usually the Torah says the day of the month, then say, and then it says the month. So we didn't answer these questions. We just said that the Torah is highlighting these specific details, the third month, that day, coming from Rafidim, because those points are relevant to the giving of the Torah. And then we tried to discuss whatever happ- what, what even happened when Moshem gave us the Torah. It seems that all the information that, that was uh, given to the Jewish people was already present before. Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov had yeshivas, and they were not just learning—not just learning the written Torah. They also know the oral Torah. They even knew the pulpulim. So, if they were already like having these real serious yeshivas, or more serious than we can imagine, yeshiva which Abba Ravino's Rosh Hashiva. So then, what exactly changed? Hashem gave us the Torah, and we know something major changed because the Gemara says the world was not at peace until the Torah was given. So, what was the major change? So let's go to um, last on the page 7. You understand all of this by first prefacing what was discussed in the previous discourses. This discourse is the third of a series of discourses that the Rebbe said that year, 1973. And what does he say in these, previ- in these discourses? She inyin yeish shnei In everything in the world, there are two elements. There's something from the right and something from the left. The right means the attribute of Hashem's kindness. And the left means the attribute of Hashem's restraint, gvura, judgment. In every madriga, in every level, there's an element of both. Let's look at this from the very beginning of the evolvement of the spiritual cosmos. And then continue, looking throughout the entire spiritual cosmos. Until it, reaches, it reached this world. Not just in this world, but lower than this world, meaning also the forces of evil, etc. So in every level, you, you'll find this, this, um, the presence of both chaser and ghur the Baal Shem explains this in the Pasuk. And Hashem, Elokim said, let there be light. So what does this Pasuk mean? How did the Baal explain this Pasuk? Hashem is speaking. Hashem is the, the words. The Yomer which means Hashem is speaking, that's an attribute of kindness. And Hashem is speaking from the attribute of His good, Elohim, is Hashem's power to conceal. What, what this means is that because Hashem has an attribute of restraint, of concealment, that's why it's possible for there to be light. for the light, the light to stay. A light that the world can live with a light that the world can absorb, the light the world can be sustained by. If the light a- came in the world without any ill keen, without any concealment, then the light would be infinite and the world wouldn't be able to um, to handle it. Uh mm-hmm. Dr. Your thoughts are very are very apparent this morning. Yes, I, for- <laughs> I feel really great but I forgot my I so I gotta run home afterwards. Okay. Alright so um so so Sval so, so says that because of Hashem's kindness, Mayomer, that's why he used Elohim to give us light. Because if Hashem would just give us the light without any Elohim, without any concealment, the world would not be able to contain it. We need to have Elohim to have light. So even in the creation of light, which is, about, which is seemingly about revelation, there has to be, has to be also a Gvura. <speaking in Hebrew> Michael, Matthias, Shum, Mok, a similar thing we could also see in the writings of that Rizal the Rizal says originally before the first Tzimtzum Hashem's light filled all of existence and there was no room there was no empty space that's what it says in Chaim. originally before there was a Tzimtzum Hashem's infinite light filled all of existence and there was no empty space so let's analyze those words. That means That means there is two things there too. There is ha'y There is an the infinite light of Hashem that pervades all of reality. And then there is also the possibility for an empty space. The although there was no actual timsum there was a possibility for a tzimtzum. So that's how we see gvura, we see Hashem's concealment even in the beginning of creation where the, all you have is infinite light of Hashem filling all of reality, but the very fact that Arizal says that there was no void, that itself tells you that there was a possibility of a void. And therefore that's already considered an element of um of Arif gvura. Okay. Um, so that's... that's um, Another um, proof to this concept, in every level there's Hasengur. There is um, a note over here, I'm not sure who wrote this note. Um, it seems like they wouldn't have put this note in without the Rebbe editing it, but who knows. Um, make, the, they make the following comment in this note. A, 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 a um, parenthetical comment. comment is this. There is another Mimer, which the Rebbe said in Parashat B'Shalach. In that Mimer, again, it's a, it's a series of discourses, and it's discussing this concept of the presence of kindness and restraint in every level. There it says, um, why is there an element of, of Gevura? In the beginning of, of creation, how is there an element of, of, with it, of concealment? So it says over there, in that discourse, there was the light of Hashem and the empty space. That's how it phrases it there. Here, the way it phrases it, we're saying, is there was a light of Hashem and the possibility of an empty space. So, so, so they're, they're, they're saying that it's the correct way is what, the way it says in this discourse, not the way it's written in that discourse. You cannot say there's an empty space in the beginning of creation. Why not? Because there was no empty space at the beginning of creation. All there was was infinite light of Hashem that filled all over reality. But to, to, to sharpen this point, he brings um, from Allah a very interesting point in Allah. Very fascinating how, how the Rebbe connects this to a seemingly like halachic issue, which has no. Which, you never think of this. I mean, Allah says this. In general, we know um, it's a little deep, but we'll get there. We're talking about dark space now. Right, right, dark space. Ah. (laughs) So, in the beginning of creation, it says there was chesed, the light of Hashem is present, and there's also gvura, Is possibility of concealment. Okay. But in the other discourse, it says, you know why there's gvura? You know how the gvura is present in the beginning of creation? Because there is the empty space. So, here we're saying, no, that's not correct. Don't say there was an empty space there. Why not? So there gives this analogy from halacha. Halacha says this. Let's say you have a drop of milk, falls into um, 60 times the amount of milk. Halacha is, we know it is kosher. What if um, the reason why it's not kosher um, will, um, is because it's It's something which is forbidden today, but it will be kosher tomorrow. Um, it's only forbidden now. It's, it's, tomorrow will be okay. Like let's say um, an egg, that's born on Yontif. The lacha is, if an egg is born on Yontif, it's forbidden today, but it's permissible tomorrow. You can't have it today, tomorrow it's okay. If that egg falls into a thousand eggs, all those eggs are forbidden. Why? Forever. What? Forever. It's, it's, it's forbidden uh, today. On that, on that day. On this day, even though it's, there's 60 times more, a thousand times more, it's still not considered nullified. But it falls into the thousand eggs on yontif, or the day after. On Yantiv, on yontif. And, it, and it makes them forbidden forever. Makes them forbidden f- on yontif. Oh, okay. Fine. Why is it forbidden on yontif? Because there's different reasons given. One of them is that sin is going to be permissible tomorrow, anyways. So therefore, we don't allow you to use this dispensation of of being nullified because okay. anyways it's going to be permissible tomorrow. Um, That's one way of explaining it. It's going to be mutter anyways, so therefore it's not, um, we're not going to say that it's it's nullified. What if you have a situation where the forbidden substance was never in the mixture to begin with? It was born, the forbidden substance was uh, brought in the world to begin with as a mixture. In that scenario, we would say that it's nullified. Although the rule is that if it's permissible tomorrow, it's forbidden today, no matter how many times more kosher there is than non-kosher. However, if its emergence in existence is in a way that it it emerges, if it never had any identity as a forbidden substance, and its first identity as a forbidden substance is as a mixture, then it is nullified. So halacha is like this, for example. The Zivzii Koyim gives this an example. Halacha is... Mashkon shazavu. That if you have grapes, and the grapes um, are 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 putting out um, uh, uh, their juice on Shabbos, you're not allowed to use that juice on Shabbos. Why? This is a decree. If we allow a person to have the juice that comes out of the grape, he may be tempted, or may forget, and he may squeeze a grape on Shabbos. Therefore, mashkin shazavu is also grapes that emit their liquid on Shabbos, though that liquid is forbidden. What if you have a vat of, of juice and you have grapes in the vat and throughout Shabbos those grapes have been squeezed and now they're going to emit more and more juice. So the halacha should be, well it's going to be permissible tomorrow, it's only forbidden on Shabbos, after Shabbos is permissible. Halacha should be that even if it's a thousand times more, it should be forbidden. However, since the emergence of the grape juice was inside a mixture, it's not considered as it, it's not viewed halakhically as a um, something which which is going to be permissible tomorrow. Instead, we view it as something which has become nullified. We only say this rule that if it's going to be permissible tomorrow, it's forbidden today, no matter how many times more kosher than non-kosher. If it had, a, if it ever was noticeable as a forbidden substance, but since this substance was never um, noticeable, therefore it is considered nullified. So, in a similar way, the space of the vacuum, when it came into existence, it wasn't a vacuum. The infinite light of Hashem filled all of existence. And therefore, can, therefore, you cannot say, we're saying that at every level, there's an element of Hashem's constraint, Hashem's gvura, Hashem's Hashem with ability to withdraw, and to hide, and to conceal. In every level, so, so don't say that in the beginning of existence, that when that result says, the infinite light of Hashem filled the vacuum, don't call the vacuum the element of Gvurah. Why not? Because the vacuums, is, 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 or, or, the vacuum's original existence is in a way that there is no vacuum. How is a vacuum brought into existence? The infinite light of Hashem fills the vacuum, so it never was a vacuum. Therefore, that's not the Gvurah. The Gvurah is only the possibility for it to become a vacuum. But there's no gvura now in the fact that it, it, this will later become the vacuum. Once the light is, is withdrawn, this is a space of the vacuum. Fine. But don't say that right now it's called gvura because, because it is the eventual vacuum. Because its eventuality as, as a vacuum doesn't classify its existence now, just like the, the grape juice is not classified as something which is forbidden because it's, it emerges into the world as 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 a mixture, so too the way the vacuum was created, it wasn't as a vacuum. It was as a uh, it was a it it all that the vacuum was was not was a place where the Eibushes light filled. The Abisha's light filled all of existence. That's one I will mention parenthetically just that according to Chassidus, there is no vacuum ever, because the, the the Tzimtzum isn't meant to be taken literally. That Hashem withdrew His light. Rather, all it means is Hashem concealed His light, but the infinite light of Hashem still fill, fills what we're calling the vacuum, because there can't be a vacuum, as the Zohar says, upon There's no place void of Him, where the Torah says, "You should know," you set to your heart, and the heavens above, and the earth below, nothing besides Him. So there cannot be a vacuum. But um, but our point in this discourse is something else, and that is that don't classify the um, the space where the light of Hashem. Um, it's not apparent, don't, don't classify it as a vacuum in the beginning when, when the light of Hashem is still, is still filling it. Because it's not a vacuum yet. You could say there's a gvurah because there's a possibility for there to be a vacuum. But don't say there's, there, there, that that space itself is called a vacuum. It's a very, um, very subtle, very like, profound point over here. Um, a note, right. Yeah. I doesn't want us to, to make a mistake about this. About, about, and, and therefore this, this halachic uh, reference and, and to understand what, what reality is. Um, it reminds me of an appeal departure. It was once in the mikveh, and some sent him a message. And it was the middle of davening. middle of davening, a message, you have a mistake in Hashem Echad. You understand that the oneness of Hashem is off. Like, to start over. <laughs> Erase. It's like, there, there, there is a, a uh, there, there shouldn't be that, that that thought you have, which is not true, shouldn't, shouldn't be there, similar way. Was, don't think that. There's a, there's a note over here. Don't think that. Okay, next page. In Kabbalah language, there is a concept called Mati vile Mati. Mati means light is, extends and is spreading, and Le Mati means light is not spreading, it's not drawn down. There are these two um, directions of the light. Contraction, which comes from the attribute of Gvura, and this Pastor's, so the light should spread, that comes from the attribute of Chaser. So, so that that's, exists also in the, begin- in the beginning of existence when the light of Hashem fills all of existence. There's still the possibility of Lehmati. Just because the light is filling all of existence, it's possible that Lehmati, it's possible that light Hashem could withdraw the light. And because that's possible, we're, that's how we're classifying the Gvura. The, the, the concealment that exists in the beginning of creation, although the light of Hashem fills all existence, but we're calling it Gvura because Hashem has the ability to withdraw that light. And we also find in Torah too this concept of Cheser and The Torah is called the delight of the king. In that word, delight, shashu'e, you have two letters twice. You have shin ayin in that word twice. Shashu'e begins with shin ayin and then ends with shin ayin. al shnei The this repetition of these two letters shin ayin highlights that in Torah also there are these two points of kindness and judgment. And that's why in the world too, and even that which is beneath the world, like Matthias Klipa, in the existence of evil as well, we also find this concept of tzimtzum, of contraction and revelation, of kindness and restraint. How do we see kindness in Klippa? So, what is Klippa? Klippa means a, a peel, a shell. So that means that there is the way the klippa serves the fruit. The shell, the peel serves the fruit. And so too, a clipper is necessary for the sake of Kedusha. You can't have Kedusha, you can't have Hashem's intent in creation. Hashem's intent that never changes. Hashem's intent is always the same. He wants a home in the lowest realm. That's why all the existence is here. That intent requires clipper. How could there be a home in the lowest realm without there being klippa? So clipper is like the Peel for the fruit. You want the fruit, you want the home fresh on the lowest realm, you have to have the peel. A similar thing, by the way, the Baruch Shanta says that um, in order to serve Hashem, you have to start off with kliv. Why? Because your evil inclination says to you, who are you? What are you? going to go serve Hashem. It's like uh It, could, uh, it would be like tzinius clothing for righteous people. You know? Tzinius you clothing? Cl- You've got to have sneeze clothing. You can't just walk around yeah. Right. Right, so there is a a uh, necessity to say to yourself, "I can serve Hashem," and that is a klipa. It's a sense of self. It's a self aggrandizement and that's what's necessary to begin serving Hashem. You can't serve Hashem without that. I saw a line the other day. I um, know who said it. In order to get ahead, you have to start. So, and how do you start? You have to start with klipa. So that's how klipa is the the protection of the fruit. That's the element of kindness within Klippa. Then there is a lower level of Klippa. There's a the way Klippa is as a protection for the fruit. Then there is a the way Klippa is not a protection for the fruit, as it is intrinsically. So there, there is, we see Chesed in Klippa, we see Gvur in, in Klippa, we see Klippa as it serves holiness, we see Klippa as it doesn't serve holiness. But because we find in every level an element of kindness, an element of restraint, from the highest of levels to the lowest of levels, that's why the Jewish people also have to have these two elements in their service That's why when the Jewish people go through the Reed Sea that says the water. The water was on their right and the water was on their left like a wall. It means they have to serve Hashem in two areas: in their right and in the left. You can't just serve Hashem in one area; you have to serve Hashem in both. And because the Torah has both and the world has both. And therefore the Jewish people, their service of Hashem, must also incorporate both chesed and gvodah. Next, next uh, paragraph. And this will give us an answer to what we were asking about yesterday. What was achieved by the giving of the Torah? We have our forefathers knew the Torah before. So based upon this, exp- this discussion about these two, um, these two levels, these two elements that exists in every level of creation, chesed and the opposite, Um, we now can understand what the giving the Torah achieved. What the giving the Torah achieved, the giving the Torah caused the convergence of both of these elements, the element of kindness and the element of judgment. This is through the third element, which is above the other two, which includes them both, because there's a, this third element is above the other two and it, and it can bring the other two together. Therefore it connects and unites the other two elements. This is similar to what we say in Davening. Hashem does peace among those who are in the highest realms. What is that referring to? We have We have the angel Machol, who he is the minister of snow and water. He is connected to the right, the element of the right, element of kindness. We have Gavriel, the angel of fire, which he is connected to the left, Gvura, And they are opposites of each other. And Hashem causes peace between them as they are in heaven, because Hashem is above both kindness and judgment, because Hashem is above fire and water, therefore we can make peace between them. And that's also the function of Torah. Another... another um, Another uh, time we're seeing today how, how we're, we look at this halachic example and this is a, a profound message for the deepest secrets of the Torah. Rambam writes in the laws of Hanukkah you have two candles. I'm sorry, you only have one candle. And it's Hanukkah. What do you do? Do you light a Shabbos candle or do you light a menorah? So the Rahman says you have to light the Shabbos candle. Why? Because a function of the Shabbos candle is to cause peace in the home. Why? Because when there's no light then there's no peace because everyone gets annoyed People might strip and stumble on the eighth of heaven, and there's no, no, no good feeling in the home. And therefore, uh, that supersedes the need to publicize the miracle of, of Hanukkah. And more important than that, Ramam says, is to light the Shabbos count to create peace. Why is that more important? How, why is peace more important? Maybe publicizing the miracle is more important. Who says peace is more important? Says the Rambam. Because the whole Torah was given to make peace in the world. Shinammar Diracheha Dahin Khundisi The Ramam right the, the Rambam says, brings this posak, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peaceful. Ramban or Ramban? Rambam. Rambam. we we'll get the Ram Ramban in a second. Well, Gamash yeah. got Ramban. Ramban. Oh you said Ram, I'm sorry, yeah. We have we, we they're both they're both in the discussion over here. Oh. So first of all we have the Rambam. The Rambam says that the reason you should light the Shabbos candles is because the whole Torah is about peace, therefore peace comes first. <laughs> Nachmanides writes that the Torah is written by Moshe Rabbeinu as a, um, as a narrator. Meaning, although Moshe Rabbeinu is writing the Torah, he doesn't say, Hashem spoke to me, he says, Hashem spoke to Moshe. He writes like, like in third person. So Nachmanity is saying that Hashem wrote the Torah in the third person is similar to what we're saying over here that the whole Torah is about the number three. Before the giving of the Torah we have these two areas Chesed and Gvura, in every level. And we have these two elements in Torah as well but we have these two elements in the the service of Hashem also. But what's unique about the giving of the Torah is that these two elements converge. And what caused them to converge Something which is beyond them both And that's why um, the, the, that, And that's the unique quality Of the giving of the Torah And that's why the Ramam says That you light the Shabbos candles first Because the Shabbos candles are about the theme Of the whole purpose of Torah to create peace And that's why Nachmanides says The Torah is written by a third person The third person means The Torah is about the third element Which is beyond Chesed and beyond Gvura, And causes Chesed and Gvura to connect so what exactly is this third element, and how does this third element uh, bring together the other two? We'll get to that tomorrow, but for today, listen, briefly, what we learned today is this. We learned that in every element of creation there are these two elements, and we even learned that in the beginning of creation, uh, although it seems all there is is one element, the infinite light of Hashem, but still there is the possibility of Tzimtzum, and therefore since there is a possibility of Tzimtzum, therefore there is already um, Gvurah in the beginning of creation as well, and we also learned why the fact that the, the, uh, the space where the simson would eventually affect is not considered Gvura in the beginning of creation because right now its, it's, it's initial existence is a place where the infant light of Hashem pervades all reality, much like the Gemara says about something which will eventually become permissible if it begins to exist, if its, if its origin of existence is in the place of a mixture, it's not considered as a forbidden substance. So, so there is these two elements of all of creation, and the Torah is about a fusion of them both. And that's why we have the Torah being written in the third person. That's why we have, we have the Rambam saying the whole Torah is about peace. What's, what's the idea of peace? Peace means the convergence of these two um, elements of Mechol and Gavriel, of fire and water, of Chesed and Gvura. And the Torah is all about the peace between them, but about something higher than Chesed, higher than Gvura, and bring them together. We'll see tomorrow what that's about. Any, any questions? This is about How wavelength you theory, you know. What? Wavelength theory. The whole world is, uh, in reality, is wavelength, which is revelation and then apparent absence or sensor. And that's what we see. It's like there's a burst of photons and then there's darkness. And if you look at the frequency of this, this changes the difference between water, steel, you know, anything in the world. Interesting. It's the frequency of light emission.
1: Wow. Power darkness.
0: Very interesting. Mm impressive.